Well, hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast that before and after every single match week discusses the ins and outs of the greatest competition in South American club football. And Mr. Oliver Wilson, at the end of a very, very, very long 12 months and a bit, because this tournament actually started in January 2020 with the first round of qualification, We've arrived at the final and the final will be played between Palmeiras and Santos, an all-Brazilian affair on January 30th at the Maracanã in Rio. And in this pod, myself and, and Ollie, we, we talked about it. We talked about the runs of the final. We had uh, great notes from fans from both sides. We talked about individual players, key players, uh, coaches, attire and, and, and plenty more. And uh, yeah, comprehensive and enjoyable, Mr. Wilson, as Always. Yeah, I've uh, even been getting across to my Greek journalist colleagues to talk about Abel Ferreira and his reputation that he had uh, as a Pauk manager before then taking the job later on this year as the Palmeiras boss. And they said in Greece that he was somebody that could not handle big names and big players and would would struggle to deal with a side that's got a lot of character. He came off as weak in Greece and now he's about to lead his side out into the final of the Copa Libertadores in the Maracanã. So, Greece, what do you say about that? Not much. Ollie, I love uh, <laughs> we went we went pretty niche the last couple of pods talking about the Sudamericana, but we're back with a bang now because Mr. Oliver Wilson, in the spare time, is digging into the Greek press to find the niche stories and subplots <laughs> and layered uh, layered human interest pieces in this final. So I've got contacts so all uh, over the world, Windsor. I've got contacts yeah. all over the world. I still can't get correct who plays in the Libertadores 2021 apparently as I said last week it was Lanus who would be going in who even though they lost the Sudamericana final it's actually San Lorenzo because of course the Argentinians this year decided to join the two tournaments an aggregate score of the league and the Copa Diego Maradona to combine that together to decide who goes into Libertadores but that's next year we're previewing the final not next year's competition so let's let's stay on point I apologize if if in doubt, just blame the logistics and organisation of, of governing bodies, Mr. Wilson. Well, yeah, not just um, in Argentina, across South America. It's a very easy thing to do, I understand. So, or very dangerous as well, perhaps. I'm not sure. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. Castel Luis Adriano puede ser el segundo. A ver si puede meter el segundo Palmeira. Right boots and having a go. Oh, what a strike from Jefferson Soteldo. Santos double their advantage in a wonderful way. And it is Palmeiras who squeeze into their first Copa Libertadores final since the year 2000. So it will be a all-Brazilian battle in the Comebol Libertadores final. Santos, Palmeiras, the search for Gloria Eterna. Yeah, uh, the overall discussion, Ollie, because it's a final and there's always so much talk about history and momentum and, of course, emotion of both of these two clubs competing in the Copa Libertadores final. I just wanted to strip all that away when I was trying to preview this game and look at it. So I just looked at the odds because whatever you think about betting on football matches, it does strip away all that emotion, right? It just leaves you with a very 
in theory, statistical and factual probability of who's going to win. Okay. We don't actually talk much about betting, Ollie, on the on the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast. Maybe if we had a betting sponsor, we would, but uh, or, not as yet. Or if I was any good at it. I mean, that's the other thing is that I don't tend to win my bets almost <laughs> ever, so I tend not to talk about it too much. House always wins. Nobody wins. Uh, but Palmeiras, they're eight to thirteen on favourites, and Santos ran about six to five, five to four. Do you think that's fair? I think that's the expectation um, from reading the Brazilian papers in the last few days, uh, which I say with no air of smugness, and I should really say it with at least a little air of smugness about it. Um, and the Google Translate bar just shifted to the other screen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, nice. A lot of the papers have said it's closer than people think between these two sides at the moment, but Palmeiras are the slight favourites. That has been the general gist of the build-up to this tournament, uh, to this final, uh, mainly because everybody's healthy for both sides. And because both squads are pretty much at, at full health, both managers have a full array of people to, to pick from. And in that sense, because it's a final, because it's one game, and because these teams know each other so well, that's why it feels like there's very little to call between the two. They've been very close with each other in the Brazilian Serie A this season as well. So there isn't much separating these two. But if you were going to go on a coin flip, you would weight the coins slightly in Palmeiras' favour just because of the quality, that little bit of extra star power that they have running through their side and probably a bit of the depth as well that they've got. But based on the semi-finals you wouldn't necessarily weight it maybe in Palmeiras' favour. I mean, I know that they beat River 3-0, but it was a, it, in the first leg of that contest. And in the second leg, of course, River were completely dominant in Brazil and, and bar a few different marginal calls or a different set of circumstances could have easily gone through. But even that first leg in Argentina, River, they didn't deserve to lose 3-0. So I would say in that semi-final, Palmeiras weren't impressive. But in in a way, Santos were very impressive in the second leg of their semi. And I just wonder whether Santos is... Yes, that they've got very good players, clearly. that They're the tournament's top scorers with, with 32 goals and Santos have only scored 20 goals in the tournament. But I just wonder whether a lot of the respect and praise for Palmeiras comes really from beating a lot of sides that weren't very good well, that, earlier on the tournament. That's what we said in the build-up to the semi-finals of how is Palmeiras going to look against a high-caliber team as opposed to anybody else that they've played really throughout the knockout stages. In the end, they had a, a fairly comfortable run to the semi-final stage. And that first leg of the semi-finals was then a, oh, wow, they play a great side and they go up another level and they find a way to mm. get a comprehensive victory away from home in the Libertadores. That's so impressive. And then you have this shock semi-final second leg where it's, oh, the job's done. It's not done. River is suddenly right back in it, you know, basically busting a gut and almost knocking Palmeiras out. It would have been one of the most incredible turnarounds in Libertadores history. But it, we weren't that far from it. River were by far the better side in that game, controlled it even when they were down to 10 men. So the respect, I think, comes from the fact that we've seen this Sao Paulo side, uh, sorry, this um, side from Sao Paulo, Palmeiras, be so good throughout this tournament, albeit against slightly wishy-washy minnow teams. And because of the first leg result against River. And I think there's a leniency to say that maybe, just maybe, there was an air of lethargy about them. Also, you're playing against one of the best managers on the continent and one of the best sides still on the continent. So there's still a chance for shocks in that semi-final second leg. But 
they have dominated almost everybody that's been put in their path and quite convincingly in a lot of games. And they've had some very impressive results that have been backed by very impressive performances. Whereas Santos, you look at their group and we'll go through this one more when we run through who they've played to the final and we look back at their journey to the final. But there weren't that many big names that they've toppled until you get to the Boca game and, and that second leg against Gremio. And you look at those two games and suddenly, like, oh, wow, yeah, geez, they, yeah. they turned it on in the right moment. So it's easy to weight a lot more of the bulk of the competition in Palmeiras' favour because they have risen to the occasion and been a high-profile side going through it, whereas Santos have kind of crept up slowly, impressively, but slowly mm. throughout this tournament and then peaked at really big moments when they had to and needed to. And, and that's why I think you just weight it slightly in Palmeiras' favour. Yeah, as you mentioned there, Ollie, we will um, discuss the kind of run to the final for both of these two sides a little bit later. Do you, I was just looking at the league form for both of these two sides towards the end of the Brazilian season. Do you place any emphasis on that whatsoever? I know both of them were in very, very patchy form. Santos lost, I think, the last three league games towards the end of the Brazilian Serie A season. Palmeiras as well, pretty poor in the end in the league. Clearly, the eyes are on the Maracanã on Saturday, January the 30th. But do you put any emphasis on that? Uh, at all yeah there are only a handful of games left in the brazilian Serie. um i think there's still six games to go or something like that so there's still a little bit left on the line but but certainly both of these two sides in their last few weeks have played uh reserves and mixed this team around palmeiras have 10 games in 30 days in january or something like yeah, that yeah i saw that so They've got a very strained schedule and they've got a Copa do Brasil final coming up as well with two legs against Gremio in, in mid-February. So you definitely feel from Abel Ferrara's point of view that there is a, we're all in on the Libertadores at this point. Um, and, and the same really from Cuca and Santos. Both sides played uh, very weakened teams and reserve teams in, in midweek in their games uh, against uh, Vasco da Gama for Palmeiras, who were actually able to get a 1-1 draw in that. But um, yeah, it's, it's all about the Libertadores for certainty of qualification for next year's competition and for the glory of it. It's the biggest cup in, in the competition uh, in, in South America. And if you, you know, Dave, you're a Liverpool fan. If you still had four games of a season left to go where you could only compete maybe for a Europa League spot as a Liverpool fan, but you're in the Champions League final, you'd be happy as a fan to see the team rest five, six, eight key players in the last few games of the year in the league to ensure that you've got a full fit squad going into the Champions League. Sure, I do get that. But my point was mainly just that, you know, Santos, they're, I think it's six or seven points off those positions for the for the Copa Libertadores qualifying stages. So bar a kind of miracle in the last three games of the season, they're not going to finish in those spots to, to play in the Libertadores next season. Clearly, it's all about getting to the final and it is so rare that you do get to the final. So they've got to put all those all their eggs in one basket. I don't know. It just uh, it was just. I, don't, that, I certainly don't think the league form should come into it. There was something interesting um, that I was reading about. These two sides faced off in the Copa do Brasil final in 2015, and going into that game, Palmeiras hadn't won in something like six, and uh, and Santos hadn't won in five, and they ended up both playing exceptional football. As a result, actually, uh, this Palmeiras ended up winning on penalties after a two-two draw over over aggregate. Um, but it was a, a a game that many have seen Palmeiras use as like a leap frog a springboard into this kind of series of success that they've had over the last few years um, and have been very successful in that competition as well as obviously trying to make waves in the Libertadores and, and being so good in the league last season before crumbling away as well uh, when they fell apart after the mid-season break but um, 
I, I don't think form when you've got two sides that know each other so well coming into a, a tie where they're both playing in their own nation for the Libertadores trophy from their own playing an opposition from their own nation the form book goes out of the window at this point particularly when you think of the changes that have been made in the last few match day squads too and it's uh, before we talk about some some of the key players as well just in terms of the history and I was looking at the list of Libertadores winners Ollie, and you realize that if Santos win on Saturday they will have won it four times. And that means that only Boca, Peñarol and Independiente would have won it more times in the history of the tournament. You know, and maybe that gets lost a little bit, whereas Palmeiras have only won it once in 1999. I think they lost in two or three finals. Uh, yeah, and I just, I, I wondered if that, um, you know, that, that is something perhaps that, that we didn't talk about, the fact that Santos are, in terms of the three trophies they've won, they should be really seen and it, as one of the... the, the you know, historically bigger sides. It's weird though, because if you think of um, had Real Madrid not become what Real Madrid are now, if Real Madrid were more like Atletico Madrid, but still had the success of those early Champions League European Cup victories in the kind of 60s with Di Stefano and people, would you still think of them as a giant side going into a Champions League competition compared to Barcelona's uh, Manchester City's, those sorts of teams. And I think it's the same way with Santos. You, two of your trophies, of your three Libertadores trophies, come in 62 and sure. 63. You then go into Libertadores isolation in terms of winning it until 2011. And then you have to wait another nine years, almost 10 years, until you get it back into the final once more. So it looks impressive, you know, three Libertadores compared to so many other teams that have won it. And I also think there's just a broader spectrum of teams that have won this tournament throughout history as well. Um, I, they're a big side, but but talk to me in the real world. Talk to me <laughs> in the modern day, in but, modern day football. But Ollie, we always we all talk about Boca not winning it since 2007. 2011, I know that time goes pretty quickly these days, but that's not that long ago. And I do think it ties up their, 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 you know, their trophy hall with the two times they lifted it in the 60s. Yes, I think if you're talking about Peñarol, then yes, that's an equivalent to to kind of Real Madrid winning it many times early on, they're not winning it again, because that's what happened with Peñarol, even though the, the, the weight of history is still there for that football club. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, look, if, they, if they do it on Saturday, then then they're right up there when you when you look at the history books. Yeah, and, and you can look at Palmeiras in the same way that we've been saying they're such a big side, but they've only won this competition once, and that was back in 1999. So their drought is even longer mm. uh, than, than Santos's. But again, I don't know, there's... You look at the success that they've had in Brazil more recently, Palmeiras, and, and particularly you look at the two titles in 16 and 18 in the league and a few Copa do Brasils as well in that time, and the three final appearances in a row in that competition. And it's, it, it screams a little more success perhaps than we've seen from Santos in recent years. Who's going to win it in terms of wh- which individuals, Ollie, are you looking at to step up and win it? I got a little bit weird with this windsor today because <laughs> because i know exactly who i'm taking for santos it's not even really a question at this point sure. jefferson soteldo is the key man for me you know everybody talks about uh, Mourinho and everything and and, and kyle george and that's fine but jefferson soteldo is the player that's taken them to another level particularly in those two semi-final games against boca juniors mm. um i don't know who's going to I could, you you can imagine an unchanged Santos side from the one that started the the semi-final second leg against Boca. I think that's relatively easy to see. 
for Palmeiras, I don't know what this starting eleven's even going to look like. Because if you look at the number of people that have come in and out of this side in, in key positions. So defensively, they've played a back three the last few games, but they have played a 4-2-3-1 on occasion in this tournament. Um, Emperor Gustavo Gomez and Marcos Rocha made up the back three. You'd imagine that's safe, but Luan Garcia featured quite a lot in this tournament as well. So could easily get brought into a central defensive role somewhere. But you would have thought with uh, with Gomez and Rocha in particular being rested on the weekend too. On the flanks, it's generally been Matias Vigna and Gabriel Menino. However, Veron has come in to replace Menino at times and Menino has moved inside into the central midfield positions. But then you get into the heart of the midfield. There are only really two spots. Maybe three if you're playing a 4-2-3-1. Um, you've got Danilo, who started the second leg of the semi-final. You've got Zirafael, who started the second leg of the semi-final. You've got Patrick De Paula, who started the first leg of the semi-final uh, and was only a substitute on Tuesday. You've got Felipe Melo returning from injury, the 37-year-old who's been out since November. And you've got Gabriel Menino as well, who's often been shifted inside and, play- and started the second leg of the quarter-final. That's a lot of people to try and fit into two, maybe three spots. Um, so where you go with that, I don't know. And then you look at the front three stroke four. Luis Adriano, amazing in that first leg against uh, River. Not so good in the second, but a key man, five goals in the tournament. Gustavo Scarpa, who I think both you and I have enjoyed both this year and last year in the tournament. You've got the teenager Varon, uh, who played in in the quarterfinal and started the quarterfinal second leg. You've got Honey, who we were talking about being the new Bruno Iniki and being the star man of this tournament, but, uh, you know, played the semifinal second leg and started that, but has also been shifted out of the side on occasion with injury and, and, and whatnot. You've got Willian, who stepped in with 10 appearances, four goals, uh, last started in the round of 16 second leg. And you've got Rafael Vega, who has played, had nine appearances, two goals, and started in the quarterfinal second leg. All of these players need to try and fit into this team. Mm. So with a full squad, I don't know the formation, if you go 3-4-3, if you go 4-2-3-1, because we've seen them play badly and perfectly in both of those situations. And I don't know really who are your best starters at this point out of those groups with five spots available for all of those players. And I wanted to ask you who you think the holding midfielders and the front three spots should go to. Well, before I talk about that, Ollie, so that was a lot. I apologize. No, no, it was a it was a great <laughs> great collection of thoughts. I just you mentioned Jefferson Soteldo, and I was listening to Pete's podcast earlier, the Galasso podcast, and he's Jefferson Soteldo, the young Venezuelan, is such a footballer that if you're a complete neutral, he is the one that you want to watch. He is so. He's this, he's this diminutive but hugely exciting, precocious, unpredictable, very, very talented footballer. So I think from a neutral perspective, he, he's certainly the one to, to watch out for. Um, and, and I also agree with you that Caio Jorge, yeah, he's scored the goals, but he hasn't necessarily set the tournament alive. Marino, I like a lot, was great against Boca Juniors, but Soteldo's the man. And I, I wondered, I was looking at Soteldo's age, actually, and for some reason I thought he was slightly younger than he is. And he's 23 and he turns 24 in the summer. And we've talked on this podcast before, and it's increasingly evident that if a player in South America doesn't get that move to Europe, sub-25, it tends not to happen. And you only have to look at the Palmeiras side to look at Gustavo Scarpa and Horney. And, and these are good footballers, but never had any kind of success or, or, or even a move in, I think, one of those cases to Europe. So I just wonder if, for Jefferson Soteldo, 
he knows that this is a big, big platform to get a move to Europe. And it might be in some odd ways, if you combine it potentially with the Copper America in the summer, it might be his two platforms to get that move. Because if he doesn't get it after this, doesn't get it after the Copper America, he's 24. And you'd think that's ridiculous, right? You'd think, of course, he's still got his best years ahead of him. But such is the nature of how it goes. That if he doesn't get it then, I wonder if he ever will. So it seems like a strange thing to say, but I actually think for an individual perspective and the future career of Jefferson Soteldo, it'd be a massive shame, Oli, to see him not turn up for whatever reason in the final and not get, you know, a bigger move potentially to Europe. In, in a do you think, yeah, go for it. Do you think as well is, I don't, because he's commented that he sees Messi obviously as an inspiration because they are similar styles of players and similar statures, but he doesn't, I, I I don't want to take anything away from him. I've re- I really enjoy watching him play, um, and it was a shame that he missed out on a large part of the tournament as well. To be honest, like there was a big gap between yeah. him reappearing in the semi-finals. Um, but do you think that he is just a little bit too frail because of his size? His build isn't tiny, perhaps yeah. as stocky yeah. as Messi. I don't think he has that same strength that a twenty-three, twenty-four-year-old Messi looked like he actually had. And Soteldo then, because of his size and then his build on top of that, you can be so creative, but it's going to limit the number of people that will be willing to take a risk. A, on a Venezuelan footballer, mm. you know, n- let, name me anybody outside. <laughs> you know, I hope that's a rhetorical a question, Ollie, if, you, if you're going to get me to reel <laughs> off uh, my knowledge of Venezuela. No, no, but... it's rhetorical. Don't worry. I was trying to think of one myself <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, name no, yeah, I'm losing it. footballer like, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's, um, yeah he, I mean, Venezuela, Chile, Brazil, that's his career trajectory so far. So it's then look, and Europe it's, or it's... On that continent, it's the right way. Yeah, and then yeah, you would yeah. think maybe Portugal, you know. Brazil to Portugal seems like a very favourable step for a lot of players that perhaps aren't ready for one of the, the elite leagues in European football. But I do think at this point, there will be people that will say, well, the size doesn't play well enough. You know, he he's shown it on a lot of occasions, but, you know, being absent for a lot of this tournament as well like is, is there anything behind that that we can't trust his his ability to last a full season and i'd, I'd love yeah. to see him maybe get a move and get a chance but i just wonder as you say you know you get to that age is time just turning up for him too late in his career already mm. <laughs> which is it just sounds crazy but it is absolutely spot on he's 24 and, and in contrast in that palmera side you know, Gabriel Veron's 18, Gabriel Menino's 20, and Santos, of course, Caio Jorge just turned 19. For them, if they had a disaster in the final, Oli, or they didn't start the final, there'll be other opportunities. They've got two or three years um, to kind of make their name and, and get the move they want. And, of course, it's not all about what can we do to get to Europe, but it also mm. it is about that in many ways for these players in terms of, you know, increased wage and... and and playing at the highest level they possibly can. So I just thought it was an interesting thing that there's one or two footballers out there that will be out there um, on Saturday in the final that really need to make it happen. And there's others that it would be great if it happened for them on an individual uh, basis. And you know how much I really like Gabriel Menino. I think he's so versatile. He's He's been great throughout the tournament. Kai Jorge is for Santos is is a different kind of player, but his, his goal record in the tournament for a teenager is absolutely fantastic. Who's going to play for Palmeiras? Well, I mean, when you look at the Palmeiras side that played River in that second leg, it, 
it's almost as if you look at that side and then take players away because it really didn't work in that second leg, right? So it's not like you can mm. look at that starting eleven and be like, okay, you know, generally you'd sort of look at a side that progressed to the final, look at their their the team that played in the second leg of that semi and be like, okay, that that's a solid basis. But it's hard to say because because they were so overran and overrun in that um in that second leg of the semi final. I think. Gabriel Veron is, is hugely exciting, very, very highly rated, already linked to Europe. We've seen some great moments from him, some great goals in the tournament. But I wonder if he misses out in the final. Um, I think Gabriel Menina starts, and, and I think Gustavo Scarpa and Ronnie and Luis Adriano, I think those players start. Felipe, Felipe Melo, who's, uh, you know, he's a figure who, I mean, he played in Turkey, didn't he, for a big chunk of his career. So, so it might be familiar. That time with Galatasaray, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and he's he was very naughty then, and he sort of that seems to be a a, um, a recurring narrative throughout the, throughout his career. Lots of red cards, and as you said, nearly thirty seven now. Yeah, or thirty seven. Yeah, thirty seven. And just coming back from injury, you know, only yeah. really returned to the side this week. I saw he played at the weekend, uh, didn't he? Or in their last game against Vasco. So yeah, last game on the weekend. Uh, sorry, on Tuesday. Yeah, um, but figurehead. And the the club captain, mm. you know, it's it's tough to drop the club captain Vocal, for yeah. this sort of game, big, you know, big, per- but, big, big personality. And it's not like, again, he's got more of a case from what happened in that second leg, right? If that second leg finishes nil-nil and Palmeiras go through, then Felipe Melo doesn't get a sniff. But you wonder whether the boss will just look at it and be like, well, you know, he, he does. He, you know, he's got that presence in the centre of the park where River overran us. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? I wouldn't want to predict it. But I think Luis Adriano, Ronnie and Gustavo Scarpa start. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gabriel Veron miss out in that eleven. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't. No, that wouldn't surprise me. I think as a front three, you'd probably take the Adriano, Honey, and and Scarpa route. Uh, for for the holding two, I really liked Sir Raphael during the group stage and during the kind of early part of the knockout stages. But it was so bad between he and Danilo in that second leg. I wonder if it's worth going with Patrick De Paula who started the first leg, uh, was only a sub on Tuesday as well. But that's an interesting... That It's really interesting who's going to pair alongside Danilo. Because I think he would be the name that definitely doesn't get removed off the team sheet of, and it will be finding somebody to sit alongside him. But it could be either Zafael, uh, Patrick De Paula or Felipe Mello, to be honest. Well, then there's a the chance Gabriel <laughs> Menino's played inside. Yeah. That's the thing. Menino's played inside and then they can have a three behind Luis Adriano of Honi Gustavo Scarpa... And then Rafael Vega, if they want to, or then have the kid to come on later on, perhaps. I mean, yeah, it, the the starting eleven is almost as interesting as the potential game itself for Palmeiras mm. of um, of who Ferreira is going to going to end up choosing. And it's crazy um, how big those Brazilian squads have, isn't it? I mean, you said it earlier, how how many games it was? Ten games in thirty days, or, so, or something ridiculous. Mm. Um, they, they just and, and the Brazilian football and calendar just never ever seems to stop it's just continuous whereas the Argentine season it does have like I know this is an unusual time um with with the Argentine uh, league season but certainly the Brazilian league season just they just play an awful lot of football so they have these massive inflated squads got to keep everyone happy got to keep everyone on, on a decent wage yeah the the league season's over do you want a regional tournament yeah. well it doesn't mean much does it <laughs> well it does <laughs> you better win it yeah. oh okay because you're playing all your rivals oh, <laughs> exactly great <laughs> exactly right it never ever stops uh, what about the runs to the final? Well, let's take a, a quick listen before we look back at the Ooh. games ourselves and what we thought of the runs to the, to the final. Let's take a quick listen to how the final runs to the final played out, both semi-finals, and we'll start with the semi-final first leg uh, for River against 
Palmeiras, the Green Giant. River con su indumentaria tradicional. Palmeiras también con su uniforme tradicional. Comienza la semifinal de la Copa Libertadores. Sale Frau, qué enredado que estuvo el remate. Gómez, también Alan, viene el centro del área. into the final at the Maracanã in Rio on January 13. Libertadores football is very much like the chocolate box. You just don't know what you're going to get. For Boca, the expectation is always to rise to the big occasion, but Santos have had the seeds of inspiration sown after Palmeiras' result in this city 24 hours ago. Lovely ball into the path of Sebastian Villa, and it came off the top of the crossbar. Quick as a flash, the left winger in behind the defence, and he rattles the frame of the goal. Salvio pulls the trigger, straight to the keeper. So a goalless draw, a result that both sides will probably take. Finishes Boca Juniors nil, Santos nil. Few would have fancied the side from Santos to be here in this moment, but a club built on perhaps one of the grandest footballing legacies in this country is ready to write another chapter in its history books. But it's under these sort of lights that the boys from Boca tend to burn their brightest. Helped on now to Jefferson Soteldo, who pulls the trigger. Big shout for handball there as it ricocheted off a defender. Play continues, and Diego Pituca stuck it away. Everybody stopped after the ball struck Lisandro Lopez, except for Diego Pituca, who catalyzes. Soteldo takes control, looking to run at Lopez. Sitting on to the right boots and having a go. Oh, what a strike from Jefferson Soteldo. Santos double their advantage in a wonderful way. Beautiful one to Mourinho, beats his man to the byline. He's got a man to pull it back to, and Lucas Braga makes it three. 
two goals in two minutes for Santos, and that could be game over for Boca Juniors suddenly. So it will be an all-Brazilian battle in the Comibol Libertadores final 2020. Santos booked their place alongside Palmeiras in the search for Gloria Eterna as they win 3-0 victors tonight and go through 3-0 on aggregate. Yeah, that was the uh, semi-finals then for both River and Palmeiras uh, in their semi-final and Santos against Boca. And as we touched on earlier, yeah, they are a lot better um, in terms of rising to the occasion, Santos, you feel, than Palmeiras were in their semi-finals. But Windsor, look back at the the tournament for both of these two sides. Mm. Well, Do you take much from the early early stages of the tournament, the Libertadores? A, considering how disjointed this year has been, for obvious reasons. B, both sides have made managerial changes late on in 2020. Yeah. Um, so, so things have certainly changed from the first few rounds of the group stages to how it's gone in the the last four and the knockout stages of this competition, uh, and the weight of opposition that both of these two sides have faced. You know, we spoke about Palmeiras not playing that many big sides in this tournament, but Santos as well. You know, it's not they've not had to face many of the juggernauts of South American football. It's also it's crazy that this tournament started a year ago you know it started in january early and it is kind of heartbreaking now that i'm that we're heartbreaking the way that i'm kind of previewing this final and i remember commentating on the first stage of qualification right when when not many people were looking at the tournament uh, from outside of south america at that point so it's um yeah a bit bit heartbreaking not to be gabriel martinez was starting to make his name on the uh, continental stage around at this time of the year mate i mean it was oh, fidel, fidel, fidel fidel martinez excuse and he's me. still his top scorer with eight isn't he I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Fidel Martinez... Yeah, still holding the golden boot crown. And no one's going to touch him now because obviously Borre with River, he's got seven, he's out. Um, unless Luis Adriano or Ronnie or Kajul... Do not count out Luis Adriano Patrick having a hat in trick. the final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I you'll know. celebrate that more than anybody else just because you don't like the idea of Martinez being the uh, top goal scorer for all of his work in the qualification round. I mean, Fidel, you know, for anyone that didn't, and I, I would have to question why on earth you wouldn't, but for anyone that didn't start following this tournament, in January 2020 <laughs> at the first round of qualification in the Copa Libertadores. Fidel Martinez, who played to play for Barcelona, scored eight goals just in the three rounds of qualification, which puts him as top scorer in the tournament, which is which is fairly ridiculous, Ollie, because he, he didn't score in uh, the first couple of games of the group stages. Then he got sold to China, I believe. So yeah, there we have it. So yeah, this tournament started you know, 12 months ago, which is crazy, really, with the pandemic interlude, of course. In terms of their runs to the final, then, Palmeiras... I know what you mean when you say it, it, it's potentially difficult to judge because that first little section of the tournament does feel and was so long ago. And and there was a mm. different set of circumstances, different, you know, d- different individuals involved. So so I do understand that. And also it is important to say that a lot of the sides in the group stages, they aren't great, really. And so you can get an inflated sense of, of who's good and who's not. But nonetheless, you can only beat what's in front of you. Palmeiras were in a group with Guarani, Bolivar and Tigre. And apart from drawing nil-nil away at Guarani early on in that group, they basically battered everyone, scored 17 goals, conceded two. And it was it was very comfortable. And what are your memories? You know, they had, they had a 5-0 win against Bolivar, 5-0 win against Tigre. Uh, it, I mean, they were just dominant. What, what, what were your takeaways that you can remember, really, from the group stages? It does feel like a long time ago now. 
the the thing I was most impressed by, uh, particularly I covered their game um, against Guarani in the first time they met in in Sao Paulo, was you know Guarani were a side you know led by uh, Big Bad Boba himself, and uh, they had Reyes as well, didn't they? The, Rodney Reyes coming from the and, left flank. To, uh, Red, Rodney Reyes, yeah, that was yeah. it. And, and I think um, he's back at the club now. I have to double check that, but yeah. And they were impressive during the qualifying stage of the competition. And so I thought, oh, this will be good to see, you know, a reasonably decent side that I've watched that play good football, taking on Palmeiras, who are a team that there's a lot of expectation around them, as there always is. And they were so good at just pasting them. That was the night that Adriano wrote himself into football trivia history with his hat-trick in the uh, Libertadores, which is something we don't need to rehash for, what, the fourth time on the podcast we've discussed it, haven't we? Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> listen, go back and listen to other podcasts, but it is yeah. a, an amazing bit of trivia, yeah. Uh, but um, And so it was like, well, you've got a relatively good side in Guarani in front of you. Tigre, who were in the second division of Argentinian football by that point already. And Bolivar, we know that it's just weighted against the Bolivian sides because of the calibre of football coming out of Bolivia at the moment. But they did it so impressively, you know, foot on the neck kind of job. that That was what I thought was really interesting because we'd spoken about a lot about the big Brazilian sides play within themselves a lot. And they don't necessarily rise to the occasion, don't try and put teams to the sword. And they did that with almost everybody. So out of the group stages, it was, well, yeah, it's not been a big group that they've had to face. But at the same time, they have done it so emphatically that you have to count them as being a side up for the up for the tournament. And that put them, Ollie, as the top seeds from the 16 sides that, that qualified, taking 16 points from their six games. Um, and then they went into the knockout stages of the competition, the round of 16 where they played little Delphine of Ecuador, and it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't particularly difficult for them. They won three one away from home and five nil at home, coming through eight one on aggregate. I'm not sure you can really look on that result, Ollie, and, and learn too much. Um, then they went into the quarterfinals against Libertad, which again, a, a football club, the Paraguayans, who do have that weight of history on their shoulders in terms of past experience in the in the Libertadores. But again, Palmeiras. In the first leg, Libertad actually played quite well and, and Palmeiras were, were troubled in that in a 1-1. But the second leg, it was just too easy. I remember you predicting it at the time, saying the second leg would just be so comfortable for Palmeiras. And it proved to be the case, winning 3-0 and going through 4-1 in aggregate. And that, that took them to the semi-final. I mean, it was pretty easy, those two those two contests to take them through to the last four. Yeah, the Delphin result was expected, wasn't it? As we said before the knockout stages, you know, Palmeiras, you're the best seed. You deserve to play the weakest side it very much looked like the weakest side in the knockout stage is taking on the best side uh, statistically from the groups. The Libertad result, the only question was that first leg because we both said we wanted to see the impressive results continue and for Palmeiras to go to Paraguay with no fans there and look like a dominant side. And they didn't initially. And it was... It wasn't for a lack of chances being created, but it suddenly the the crispness of their football was certainly gone in that first leg against Libertad. And then they rectified the situation perfectly in Brazil. And then you thought, well, this side just can't be beaten in Brazil. You look at their five game, uh, four games on home soil going into the semifinals. They beat Bolivar 5-0, they beat Tigre 5-0, they beat Delphin 5-0, and they beat Libertad 3-0. <laughs> So when they go 3-0 up against River in the semi-finals <laughs> yeah. in the first leg, away from home, there is no way, surely no way, that they're getting pushed. And then we had the capitulation. And that's so worrying going into the final, I think. Of there is still the element of you don't quite know what Palmeiras is going to give you. Yeah, it's kind of an odd, 
massive question mark, isn't it, over over them? And I wonder if it will sit in the players' minds as well of coming, you know, taking a 3-0 lead into the second leg of a Libertadores semi-final against the Riverside, weakened from last year. And to suffer that kind of, as you say, it, it was a capitulation. But it, I mean, it won't match if they go on and win the trophy. But it's the kind of thing, if they go on and win the trophy, it will get lost in the in the confines of history. But if they do lose in the final, you'll look at that second leg and be like, well, it was there. You know, we, we said yeah. it. That you could see it. Mental weakness. Centre of the park weren't it's, very strong. Yeah, It's either the kick up the behind at the right moment. Oh, they got too complacent. And then they had that result and it shocked the system into realising that they needed to be better for the final. Or, as you say, it's the... Ah, yeah, the cracks the cracks were visible and certainly shown by River Plate and then they were exposed by this Santos side that had a similar easy-ish run through the group stages when you look at it. Defence at Eustisia, very impressive going into the Commonwealth Sudamericana and what they did last week, and we spoke about that. Go back and check out the preview and review of the Copa Sudamericana nice. from last week. Um, a surprising amount Delphin. of listeners on that, Mr. Wilson. I can see our very list of the numbers surprising. very still we put out the, the preview and review of the Sid America final, more in hope than expectation, but it was very gratifying <laughs> to see that there are amongst the, the fan base of Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast a, a good chunk of people that want to hear a bit more about Sud Americana as well. Yeah, um, and I, as I mentioned in the intro to this show, I apologise about my uh, incorrect facts that were thrown out at the end of that podcast, but rectified at the start of this show, so it's okay, no problem. Um, I mean, had, I, Santos I still had, think... Yeah, di- I think the Brazilian league's already ended, Oli, so like, I'm not going to call you up. <laughs> uh, we're a long way away from South America, you've got to remember. Uh, Defensive Justicia, so good in the, in the Sudamericana, but didn't meet the occasion really in the uh, Libertadores. Well, certainly tried their best and still looked like they played good football at that time, but Santos were able to get past them. Uh, get past Delphin as well, who we saw, we discussed already what Palmeiras did to them. Delphin uh, weren't one of the sides that we had really a keen eye on for making the knockout stages and certainly weren't a side that... Uh, we were too surprised to see going out so early in the knockout stages. And they had Olympia in their group as well, who were so disappointing after what we were hoping from Olympia, with, of course, Emmanuel Adebayor brought in alongside Rocky Santa Cruz as the ultimate front two of the European hipster fan base wanting to get into Libertadores action. And they were desperately awful in the group stage. Gosh, I've forgotten about that, Ollie. And that was, it was probably the most anticlimactic out of all. Was it his debut? Did he get sent off in his debut? Sent off in the first game. So, yeah. And it was really <laughs> exciting. Oh, wow. That's like, that's the kind of signing in South America that people really, really get excited about. I remember when, it's not exactly the same, but when De Rossi went to Boca. And honestly, uh, yeah. I mean, Oli and I were in Argentina at that time and it was a bit ridiculous. De Rossi, great player in his pomp, of course. Moved to Boca Juniors that had thousands of fans at the airport greeting him at 4am. De Rossi was going to be the man to take them. Barely played, scored one goal in the cup and left. But Adebayor, you know, I mean, even, I mean, really barely played, got sent off and then left. So, yeah, that, 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 yeah. Wasn't, that wasn't particularly triumphant. But any, any Santos highlights for you from the group stages at all? Not really. I mean, I remember us talking after the group stages about how they just kind of got the job done. Listen, it's not a... You know, defense East DC. It was it was a very tight group. It was a very very tight group that came not for Santos who cruised it, winning five of their six games. But Delphi, Defensa East DC, and Olympia all really competitive, and certainly statistically, I should say Santos uh, not in the same realm as Palmeiras, just scoring ten goals and conceding five, whereas Palmeiras were just dominant and thrash sides. But no, I mean they got the job done. But they they wouldn't have been one of those sides, despite the five wins that you thought were going to win it after those group stages. No, not at all. Um, 
and not to go too far down the line on their route to the final, but you look at their run in this competition and the results don't necessarily scream impressive, but the overall outcome of their results, they've only lost one game in this tournament so far, which came in the round of 16. Also, yeah, and also just on that in that group stage, Ollie, I think there were results at the time that didn't look impressive, but when you go back and you see what Defensa Justicia did in the in the Sudamericana, I mean, I think we mentioned this a couple of pods ago, but the fact that Santos beat Defensa Justicia uh, home and away in the group stages, both by two goals to one and both coming back from a goal down, at the time you think, yeah, well, that's the result they should have got anyway. But then when you see what Defensa Justicia, the quality that they do have and the confidence they have under Hernan Crespo, those results look even better. And yeah, that, then that t- took them through to the, um, to the last 16. And you and I have, both got a soft spot for Liga de Quito. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's just a, a departure from the... It's, it's the club that we think are one of the very, very few clubs that, that could maybe upset the Argentine-Brazilian monopoly of uh, Libertadores domination, really. But, but that was really tight as well. I remember watching the last few minutes of the second leg of Santos against Liga de Quito and Liga de Quito just needed to score one more goal and Santos were on the back foot and it was all very chaotic. But they squeezed through uh, 2-2 on away goals in the end. Yeah, going to Liga de Quito and winning 2-1 was mm. probably the most impressive result that they had of the tournaments to that point. Um, particularly, in my opinion, after looking at the group stage and being like, yeah, you just kind of got the job done and everything like that. Um, but to go to Ecuador, do you know there's an altitude thing with going and playing in Liga de Quito's <laughs> ground? I don't, know if, I don't know if that's ever been mentioned <laughs> at any point. But if you go away to Ecuador, somewhere like Quito, because the altitude is very difficult for these sides <laughs> to play away, and they often end up losing quite heavily, particularly late on in games. Ollie, I think the I mean, altitude is discussed so much in 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 uh, in conversations about the Libertadores because the geographical factors, as we know, are, are so massive because it's such a huge continent. But I remember in 2019 when Boca played Liga de Quito um, in the the knockout stages of the tournament. I remember one of the Argentine sports dailies just had uh, a picture of oxygen canisters on the front of the front page of it. And, you know, not not the tactical formation, not what the managers have said, nothing else. It was just the oxygen canisters and a line with something like if they can overcome the lack of oxygen, then they can go through. So, well, yeah, we, we sucked. We got sucked into <laughs> did, it with we the did. we were investigating like the best ways to deal with altitude. Some people mm. saying that you land in as close to kickoff as possible. And then get out as quickly as possible, so you don't feel the effects. That's the new science. Yeah. Other people saying take take sure. Viagra was one of the um, one of the ideas that was thrown up against us of you know how to deal with. I don't know how that de- deals with oxygen deprivation, but I guess it gets the blood flowing. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we 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 were starting to look into all of that, and then as with last year with Boca going there and, and getting a, a great result, Santos did the same thing in the knockout stages, and then and then almost threw it away on home soil. Held on. Uh, to lose 1-0 to Liga de Quito in the second leg of that and the, the three sendings off in stoppage time, the palaver at the end of that game was just just ridiculous. They don't have a great reputation, Santos fans, as I think we mentioned talking about the flares and the fact that they were banned from having fans in the ground anyway this year because <clears throat> of a ruckus, shall we say, when Independiente played there in their last appearance in the Copa Libertadores. Um, and then they go to Gremio and I think both you and I wrote them off at this point. Yeah, I think so, because we did on very logistical, on a very logistic, a very logical, I should say, sorry, it's been a late, uh, late week of uh, working all, all kinds of hours. But yeah, on a very logical basis, Ollie, because of what Gremio 
had achieved under Renato Gaucho in the last few years of the tournament, consistently reaching the semi-finals. And I think on that basis, we thought that Gremio's experience would see them into the semi-finals uh, again. And it certainly it wasn't the case. It was one apiece, of course, in the first leg. And then the second leg at home, Santos ran out 4-1 winners, which was a, a, a really huge statement uh, for Santos and took them into to that semi-final against Boca. Yeah, that was it was the result that I don't think any of us expected. Um, I, I don't know why I choose to die on this hill, but I still continue <laughs> to pick holes of like, well, they were handed they were handed that result against Gremio. I didn't Gremio. even they, t- were, I didn't you know, they were given up for that for some reason. For some no, reason, Oliver Wharton can't handle that. Santos four, it Gremio comes... one was a was an emphatic statement performance from Santos. Every time it comes into my head, I'm like, yeah, but Gremio were just yeah, awful were. compared to what we were expecting. Like there was such a letdown and. Was was that the same with Boca in the semi-final second leg? Probably not. But, you know, the, it it was an impressive result when you look back at it now and upon reflection. I will have to admit that, you know, they they got the job done in a very comfortable fashion against Gremio. And then they go to the semi-finals, get a nil-nil draw at Boca. And then, again, the, the 3-0 demolition of Boca that night in the second leg. Just outrageous. It, yeah. Totally yeah, unexpected. It, really was. it was uh it was a complete capitulation by Boca, but Santos were was so impressive, played with such confidence. The Marino and Jefferson Soteldo, I mean, the swagger on both of those two players is is exceptional. And and on the their goals, the second and third goals, the one that Mourinho created, the it. third and, and the Braga, goal that yeah. Soteldo scores the second. Yeah. Oh, absolute Two of the best goals yeah, of the yeah. tournament. I mean, I love the I love the third uh, Santos goal when uh, yeah, Marino kind of keeps his balance. Could have gone down. Must have considered it. I think at nil nil he does actually, but two nil he doesn't. And mm-hmm. stays his feet, cuts it back to Lucas Braga, who puts it in. So yeah, I mean, listen, you can criticise Boca's performance all you want, but it was a it was a magnificent Santos win. Uh, before we get into our predictions, we do have two fans of each side, um, and we have spoken to them previously on this podcast. Uh, Christian Bengston of Any Palmeiras uh, will be joining us in just a moment. Uh, we'll first start with Pedro Anthony from Santos Ingles on Twitter and his thoughts on Santos's chances in the final. Guys, I just finished watching Santos drop his third game in a row. Um, I also saw that Palmeiras have lost two out of their last three. Um, and I think they just drew Vasco da Gama tonight or yesterday. Um, but guess what? No one cares, and none of that matters. All eyes are on Saturday. Last few games in the league, Santos has played a heavily rotated squad, which is good. Um, the kids finally got to sniff a fair bit of game time, um, but that also means... Our stars, Soteldo, Mourinho, Verissimo, are going to be well-rested and they'll be ready to play. I wouldn't expect too many surprises or changes, really, um, in the lineup for Saturday. Uh, the only question is in net. Who is going to be occupying that keeper position? So before he was struck with COVID, Jean was the preferred keeper, um, although both had been playing really well. Um, but Joao Paulo comes back in after Sean's COVID um, and has played extremely well. He's probably in the, 
the better form of the two. But now Jean is back, and he's played a few games with a rotated squad, so it's really going to be a headache for Kuka to decide which one to play. I've said before that I'm an optimist, and um, not only am I an optimist, but um, I'm also, when it comes to sports, and only sports really, uh, superstitious. So I am going to continue to beat the optimism drum, and I'm going to go for a 3-1 Santos victory in the Copa Libertadores final. It's going to be a great game, um, and I am beyond excited, um, and I'm also beyond anxious, and uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks. Yeah, big thanks to uh, Pedro there, giving us his breakdown on, on Santos and the chances, and very optimistic in his prediction. Oli, I really like how our representatives from Santos and Palmeiras they're slowly becoming, slowly their personalities are starting to seep into the show as well. Some some great insight. And, and as always, thanks so much, guys, for contributing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, Lucas, before I uh, just say what I was going to say, Lucas Verissimo off to Benfica. Did you yeah. say, I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. I mean, I mean, described as the best defender in Brazilian football. Sure. So, I mean, it, no real surprise that a big, solid defender that stands out above the rest in South American football does get a move. And at 20, um, 25 years of age, it's kind of it's at a, that moment where it's it's got to happen now. It's easier for a defender, I think, as well, to have a bit more longevity compared to a creative player as well. Because, you know, rock-solid defenders. Brazil's kind of got a bit of a history of that. You think mm-hmm. about, you know, some of the great, like Aldair. Um, I know Socrates was obviously more of a holding midfielder than a, a defensive midfielder, but still, like, happy to do the dirty work. And you always think of Samba football. But actually... There is a good legacy of, you know, Luan, um, Inter, Inter had somebody as well. God, name completely skips off the head. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's it's not too surprising if he's ready to make that next move that he does get the opportunity. I just wondered what you thought as well, because I completely forgot about that in our kind of little build up to it. Um, the goalkeeping situation at Santos too, that was touched on by Pedro. Who do you go with? Do you go with the hot hand or do you go with the guy that's got you to this point? I think he goes Jao Jao Paulo, yeah. I think he goes just because John. I don't know. Maybe he's a he did very well when he came in, but you know, I think we were hearing about how he was so far down the pecking order. He was like fourth choice goalkeeper at the start of the season mm. or something. I just think for a final, that's a big, big call. Um, so yeah, I, I I wouldn't make it if I was the boss. Yeah, it's one of those ones that John had his chance. But he, if there hadn't been everything that's gone on to give John his chance, he wouldn't have been in that position anyway. So you then now he's made himself unavailable by having COVID, maybe not because of his own fault, but then you go back to Joao Paulo and with the guy that you were going to have anyway. And the guy that kept a clean sheet against Boca in the semi-final second leg. Um, we've also got Christian Bengston uh, from Any Palmeiras as well, talking about the big green giants prospects uh, going into the Copper Libertadores final. Palmeiras have definitely gone into Libertadores mode after fielding basically the bench against uh, Sierra uh, yesterday, Sunday. Everyone else uh, of the regular starting 11 uh, took a rest and we'll see the same thing happening against Vasco tomorrow, Tuesday, for sure. Because 
all eyes. The full focus now is on Saturday's Libertadores Cup final against Santos at the Maracana. Very hard to predict how it's going to be. Palmeiras has been uh, oscillating quite a lot lately. Uh, brilliant results, uh, nightmarish games. Uh, it's very hard to predict how uh, this is going to play out. And I'd say the same thing goes for Santos, who has been playing very well uh, some of the games. And, and uh, like yesterday, um, losing to bottom dwellers Goiás. Uh, 4-3 at home after uh, leading the game 2-0 in the first half. So um, that might be because their head is also on the Saturday's match or something else, who knows. But in any case, both Palmeiras and Santos have been performing on and off uh, in the last few weeks. I think Palmeiras with Gustavo Gomez back in center lock uh, will improve defensively I think if our strikers are on a good are on a good evening uh, Luis Adriano uh, William Veron back with great mobility maybe uh, Honi as well uh, rested I think we'll have a very fast uh, pacey attack counter-attacking a lot which is Palmeiras strength and uh, I believe that uh, it will be Palmeiras who takes the title uh, 2-0 against Santos on Saturday and it will be beautiful <laughs> it will be beautiful apparently according to uh, Christian big thanks to both uh, Pedro and Christian for contributing to the podcast in the last few weeks and giving us their insight from the fans perspective of uh, these two brilliant Brazilian clubs I feel like they know each other a little bit as well, Oli. There's a, there's, there's a few little jibes, <laughs> a few friendly jibes coming in. And Christian also says Saturday like a, a like a, a Cockney, like a guy from the east of London, which I, which, <laughs> which I did clock. So Christian, yeah, I don't know where that's come from. but uh, He's had his time in England, Christian. Yeah. He's had his time, okay, although okay. Bristol. So it's not really a Bristolian no, accent, sat, I wouldn't say. But... <laughs> um, yeah, no, great, great to hear the thoughts. And I think both of them sound quietly confident to me. I don't think Christian sounds confident. I think I think the semi-final second leg Rattled and him. then the, the, the kind of mess around of games that they've had since then has been a bit like, oh, okay. I was expecting more confidence compared to... Whereas Pedro, I think he sounds confident, but in like a almost childish, innocent optimism. You know, okay. it's just like, look, my team's in the final. I've got to be optimistic. Like we've got... <laughs> like it sounds like he's just excited and optimistic rather than maybe like oh, no, we are going to win because sure. of this, this and this, you know. It, but look, who am I to judge what they say and how they say it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Windsor? I think I, I, I didn't dream this, Ollie, but... Was Martin maybe, Luther King Day recently? So maybe <laughs> if you could put it in, a, in the phrase, in the stylings of MLK. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it was just a daydream, but I think Santos are going to win. And I think you're going to see something really individual and really special from Jefferson, Jefferson Soteldo. And I know that might be an easy thing to say because he's, he's there. <laughs> you just roll your eyes at me, Ollie. Like, it's, yeah, it's an obvious thing to say because he's there. You know, he's there. He's a really exciting player. But I, I was so impressed with what he did in that second leg. And I just love the fact that he wanted the ball. I love how much he trusts his own capacity in the final third. He doesn't. 
I'm not saying he's a selfish player, but he, there's no one on that Santos side that he trusts more than himself. And I just think it's, it's a great quality in big games. Mention the fact that if ever he's going to get that big move, it should probably come this year with him turning 24 this year. We've got the Copa America in the summer, so that'll be another platform for him. But there will be people watching this Libertadores final. And it's not about the individuals. Clearly, it's about Santos trying to lift their fourth title in history. But I think Jefferson Soteldo produces a spectacular individual performance and Santos win the game 2-0. I think... Sorry to drag it back to the semi-final once again, but I really don't think this is a, a special Riverside. And it's a Riverside that battered Palmeiras for large sections of the two legs. And that mm. really dictates my prediction. Santos for the 2-0 win. You? I know exactly where you're coming from with that. Because... You know, after the semi-final first leg, I'd have been like Palmeiras completely. Quite clearly, their name seems on the trophy. And I've slept on Santos this whole tournament. You know, I, I was the guy straight away when we were doing our, our post-group stage pod. It's like, yeah, I mean, they're the weaker of all the Brazilian sides. Uh, when they went to Grêmio, I was like, yeah, Grêmio will do it. When they when they won four one against Grêmio, I was like, yeah, but it was easy. It was handed to them. And every time I berate them, they just come and do something better and better. And I was expecting Boca to beat them, and Santos went and got the results that they needed in both legs. Uh, and I even backed Boca to beat them in Brazil, and they were so convincing against the Argentinians. But I'm staying Palmeiras on this. Like a four-one, wow! Like an absolute. A Adriano hat trick. I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love it to be. I mean, Fidel honestly, Martinez just crying they'll... from his uh, from his apartment <laughs> in China. His, his, his apartment. Yeah. <laughs> if he's allowed out, you know. Um. Yeah, I just, I just think that you know we've we've been treated some really special games in this tournament. To be honest but there haven't been many great, thrillingly close games. Like overall, the semi-final for Palmeiras was obviously uh, very close on aggregate, but both of those semi-finals were blowouts one way or the other, I felt. Um, I th yeah, I just see it's going to go big one way, and if it's going to go big one way, it will go big Palmeiras. And I don't mean that as a discredit to Santos. I just wonder if maybe Palmeiras is more built with the depth that they've got, with the adjustments that can be made for this big occasion. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go big. I'll go punchy. I'll go 4-1. Wow, that is it. I'll give you good odds on that, Ollie. I saw both teams to score at evens. Oh, that would be my bet if you're yeah, a betting right. man, yeah. Oh, that would be I a strong so, one. Yeah. Is there any other business for the uh, Copa Libertadores final, by the way? There's a couple of little nuggets I've found here and here and there and everywhere. Um, do you know any of the players? Because Kuka, Kuka, who looks like a homeless man. That's I thought you we were going to say touch so on I both managers. Say something more sinister than that. I think that's a that's a pretty generous uh, assessment. Yeah. Does it does look a bit of a wreckhead <laughs> on the sideline? But could you name any of the players that he uh, took to the Libertadores final and won with Atletico Mineiro in 2013? Off the top of the head, Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho is one. I'm out. Gilberto Silva was uh, part of that okay. squad. Bernard, yeah, the Everton yeah, yeah, player yeah. who made his name at Shakhtar yeah. Donetsk. Joe, the Manchester City yep. flop. 
And Gremio's centre forward who cropped up in a big moment against Olympia in the knockout stage. Diego Tardelli was sure. also part of that side. And going into the game against Atletico Mineiro this week, Kuka went back to the same area on the Atletico Mineiro bench where he knelt on his knees watching the, uh, the penalty shootout in that Libertadores final and knelt down and prayed before the game in that same spot. And now normally I would be like, you know, Brazilian, Argentinian, football media in general, over-sensationalizing some really, you know, insignificant moments. But that seems like a manager that's almost playing up to the significance of playing against his former side that he won the Libertadores with before going in the game, before going to the Libertadores a final again with Santos and going back to that spot on the dugout to pray. I mean, it's just like you're feeding love the Brazilian it. press. I love it's, it. I love stuff like that. Um, I love that. I, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy, I enjoy <laughs> stuff like that. You've done some good digging there as well, Mr. Wilson. And do you know Gisweldo uh, Ferreira? No. So he was the uh, the Santos boss before Kuka earlier this year. So, you know, he's kind of implemented a lot of this squad. There haven't been that many changes to it throughout the tournament. And a lot of people are giving him a bit of credit after um, after everything that Kuka's done still, that, you know, this was uh, Gisualdo Ferreira's kind of setup. Um, he resigned after saying that there was a lack of vision at the club. That's why he parted ways with them and Kuka came in in the latter part of 2020. But do you know who Gisualdo Ferreira's coaching protege is? He's the man in the dugout for Palmeiras this weekend, Abel Ferreira. He coached him in uh, at Braga when Ferreira, uh, when Abel Ferreira was playing there. And then they both were coaches together at Sporting Lisbon. And Abel Ferreira sees him as his master and Abel Ferreira sees himself as the apprentice to Jesuelo Ferreira. So somewhere back in his home in Portugal, because uh, he's now the Braga coach once again, Jesuelo Ferreira will be watching Amazing. this with a big smile because one way, either the team he built or the manager he built is going to win the Copa oh, Libertadores. That's a great touch, Ollie. <laughs> that's really, really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so yeah, weird. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really awesome. You've been busy this week. No fans. No fans, no concerts pre-match, which I love yep. as a football fan and not a music dancing fan. Big fan of that. Not a big fan of the no fans, obviously, but because there's no fans, I know you're no not. Concerts, I know so there is a silver lining. I know lining. you're heartbroken about the no fans, Ollie, because you've been sending me clips of San Lorenzo's fans all weeks, all week. Not, it's not like they're in the final or anything. It's just a Wilson, like in a, a quiet afternoon, just watching clips of San Lorenzo fans bouncing up and down. <laughs> Uh, and 15 million US dollars prize money, of course, going to the winner Ooh. of the Copa Libertadores. Can I just say one thing about Kuka? I, I saw in his post-match interview after the semi-final, Ollie, he was asked about the final and he said, look, if we win, then we're the best side in South America. And if we finish second, you know, if we, if we lose in the final, well, then we're the second best side. Either way, it's been a great tournament. And I thought that was kind of an odd thing. It's kind of, that's kind of the thing that you would say after you've lost the final, right? Like, oh, we didn't win, but mm. we finished that. And it, it just felt, it didn't feel to me like he was accepting defeat by any stretch in the final. Clearly not. It just, for me, he was just taking a little load maybe off his own shoulders, off the shoulders of the players, just pushing it on Palmeiras saying, look, they're the favourites. We're not really expected to be here. And if we win, we win. If we don't win, we don't win. I just want my players to go out there. And I, I thought that was an interesting note that maybe a, just a little bit of a message to his players that uh, to that they can play with a bit of freedom in the final. And I certainly hope so. 
Well, he saved Santos from uh, relegation in in 2018 he almost took them down in 2008 with his first spell with the club and his last job before this was Sao Paulo where he was where he stepped down because he's got a heart condition so he's been through a roller coaster of a career and now I think he's just trying to keep his own level-headedness because of that heart condition to stop himself getting overexcited because come Saturday his side could be lifting the Copa Libertadores and that would be something that would send anybody's heart uh, racing at paces and might put a bit of strain on the well, old mate, ticket. mate you saw his that. celebrations in the semi-final on the touchline against Boca right so I don't know that uh, you know his cardiologist is <laughs> probably watching uh, watching that very concerned what do we fancy in terms of the what the, the head coaches are going to wear for the final I mean is it going to be the open tracksuit top and dodgy t-shirt again from I, Kuka? I think then, so. Yeah, it, <laughs> I think that's his that's his staple, right? I mean, we're not going to see a suit from either of them, are we? <laughs> I mean, you had a go at Luis Zubeldia, the Lanús I'm not saying coach, it's okay. I'm just saying that's his, what I think for yeah. how he looks. But somehow but some Luis Zubeldia is going to look so much better than Kuka owns it. And also I think when you get past a certain age, you're given more free reign on it. Um, so yeah, I think it will be. It's going to be the chain, the tracks. It's always something. I don't know how how old Kuka is. I'm going to guess he's early sixties, maybe. Kuka's fifty seven. Okay. Uh, but I think over. Uh, he looks rough <laughs> for fifty seven. <laughs> he does. I don't want to. Be... Yeah, like I mean, it's a stress. It's a stressful job being a being a football manager. Yeah, I mean, I think over a certain age, you can get away with the, with the chain, the tracksuit. The it's you know. You're not going to win any fashion prizes by that point, so it's it's, it's long gone. But I just felt with Zubildir, it was he's more of a young man. Perhaps he could have made a statement. But alas, this is this is all very very irrelevant. Um, you know who he reminds me of? Just quickly, mm-hmm. you know, Dumb and Dumber, and the big guy who they accidentally kill with the burger, who's sent there to see what Harry and Lloyd. He looks so much like him. <laughs> So that brings an end to our preview of the Copa Libertadores final for 2020. Palmeiras against Santos. Who do you think will find their way to Gloria Eterna and have their hands on the Copa come the end of Saturday's game? Kicking off, remember, at 8 o'clock GMT. A big thanks to our guests from our respective Brazilian clubs, to Pedro Anthony from Santos in English, that's Santos FC underscore Inglés, Santos FC underscore Inglés on Twitter, and of course to Christian Bengston as well uh, for getting in contact with us. Any Palmeiras on Twitter, that's at any Palmeiras on Twitter, or anything Palmeiras dot com is where you can find him you can find david windsor who will be i'm sure live tweeting throughout the game as he is always live tweeting any sport that he's covering uh on twitter at david t windsor that's at david t windsor and myself on o underscore j underscore wilson that's o underscore j underscore wilson like subscribe and follow the podcast of course on anchor.fm who are our host and all good podcasting outlets as well including google podcasts and Spotify, TuneIn Radio app. There's really no excuse to not be listening to your coverage of the Copa Libertadores right here. And of course, you can find us on email with any questions you have about South American football. Willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. Look, enjoy the game on Saturday. Enjoy the break, perhaps. I don't know if we can. From Libertadores football, 
once Saturday's game is finished, we'll of course be back with our post-game podcast on that, and then we'll be taking a break until the Libertadores 2021 starts. But we'll be back on Sunday with our review of the big game. Who will have their hands on the trophy? We'll know in a few days' time. Take care.